Well, last week we looked at Romans chapter 6, and we got an overview of it. As we come to the table today, I wanted to pull out a a little particular uh, part of it and focus in on it because I think it will help us as we come to the Lord's table, specifically the part about baptism here. I want to look at the first 14 verses and read through those again and uh, think a little bit about what significance this passage has upon our coming to the Lord's table today. Hear now God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. This is God's word. When my children were younger, we, uh, the, the boys especially, liked to watch a television show called How It's Made. It's still on today, and you can, it, it's kind of boring unless you are mechanically inclined because it takes you to all these factories, and it might show you how baseball bats are made or how uh, laundry detergent is produced or any number of things. You kind of peer into the process of how it happens. I know when I was growing up, I was interested in these sort of things to a degree when I wasn't out running around playing ball or at the swimming pool. Uh, But my father was uh, mechanically inclined. He could fix anything, any kind of engine, and that's what he did all of his life. Uh, Our family business was kept running by my father, and he could fix anything. He understood the inner workings of machines, and, and now that I'm an adult and have a lot of cars in our parking lot uh, with all the children that I have, I wish that I had his knowledge. I wish that I had him with me so he could do the work and I wouldn't have to do it at all. That would be even better. But he understood these things. He understood how it worked and he could repair things like that. Well, today as we look at this passage, we're going to look into the machinery of it a little bit and peer into how it actually operates Paul is doing something here, and and I want to show you what he's doing 
because it corresponds with what we're doing here today at the Lord's table. And I think that will be an encouragement to us all as we come to the Lord's table and in future months as we continue to come to the Lord's table and when we are present at baptisms. So today we're celebrating, obviously, the Lord's Supper, one of the two sacraments of the church. Lord's Supper and baptism are the two sacraments we in the historic Protestant church and the Presbyterian church we believe in. And this is one of the ways that we're different from the Roman Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church believes there are seven sacraments, but practically all Protestant churches only hold to the two. Sacraments, two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now the question I want to address today is why are the sacraments important? Why are they important? We see the importance of them illustrated here in Romans chapter 6 where Paul points us to baptism in verse 3. Now Paul in chapter 6, as we looked at last week, he's asking an important question. Should Christians continue in sin? He asked the question twice in chapter 6, verse 1 and verse 15. Should we, should we continue in sin? Should we sin? And he's he's he. He's asking the question, should we happily sin? Should we even be ap apathetic towards sin and like it doesn't matter? How should we relate to sin? Well, the answer is an emphatic no. By no means, may it never be. Uh, or as we noted last week in one prayer phrase, what a ghastly thought that would be that we would continue to sin. But we do continue to sin because we're not perfect and we won't be on this side of heaven. But Paul, just by the fact that he is addressing this issue, is affirming that there's a problem here that human beings have. And we all know it's true. The problem is that we struggle with sin. And not only that we, do we struggle with sin, we struggle with temptation, but we often try to justify the sins, our favorite sins. And that's what, that's what Paul is addressing here. People who are trying to justify sin. Should we continue in sin so grace may abound? You know, I can, if I sin a lot, that makes God look better because he can pour more grace out on me. That's a, that's a bad argument. And Paul demonstrates that there in the first 14 verses. How do we combat this tendency within us to sin and justify it? Paul's answering that question for us. And the very first thing he does, the very first thing he mentions when he's answering this question, should we continue in sin, he points us to baptism. He's the, this is the first thing he wants you to remember. Remember your baptism. Should we continue to sin? Remember your baptism. Now why? Why would he do that? I mean, we might, if someone asked us that question, we probably wouldn't turn to Baptism, for example. We might make an argument about you know, antinomianism and legalism or any, any number of isms that are out there, and we might give some theologically uh, argument against living in sin. But Paul takes us to baptism. Now, he, he mentions baptism because of this. This is the important part here. Because baptism is a powerful faith strengthener. Baptism is a powerful faith strengthener. And even though he doesn't mention the Lord's Supper 
here in this passage. He only mentions the one sacrament of baptism. What is true of baptism is also true of the Lord's Supper. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are both powerful faith strengtheners. Our confession of faith that we follow in the Presbyterian Church in America is the Westminster Confession of Faith. It was written in the 1640s, 1645-1648, and it stood the test of time. It's a great summary of the Bible's teaching on various subjects, and it does have chapters on the sacraments in general and then baptism and Lord's Supper specifically. And in the Westminster Confession of Faith, it tells us that the sacraments have spiritual efficacy. And all that means is spiritual effectiveness or spiritual power. The sacraments, the confession goes on to say, increase and strengthen the grace of faith. They increase and strengthen the grace of faith. So when we are present at a baptism and we are thinking about the significance of the baptism and our own baptism, or when we are participating in the Lord's Supper, our faith is supposed to be increased and strengthened by that. It should help us in our battle with sin. And that's why Paul is bringing to mind their baptism. As you think about the significance of it, as you think about what it means, as you think about what it means for your identity as a believer, it should encourage and strengthen your faith and give you strength to fight with sin and to think, why would I sin? Let's see how that works. We're going we're gonna to peer into the machinery now, and I want to show how Paul is using baptism and how he's trying to encourage them in their battle with sin. You see it played out in these verses that we read. Now, according to our Confession of Faith, the Westminster Confession, the two sacraments increase and strengthen our faith by doing four things. And if you've got the insert, I've listed them out for you. Uh, they're on a piece of paper, and you can see where we're going here. And we see those four things happening here in chapter 6 in reference to baptism. And because, as I said before, that the Lord's Supper has the same purposes, we can apply those things to our communion today, to our participation at the table today. Well, first, the first purpose of the sacraments are to represent Christ and his benefits. Of course, uh, this is the first step. Sacraments were first instituted by God to represent Christ and his benefits. They point us, above all else, to Jesus and to the blessings which flow from a vital relationship with him. Look at verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? When we are thinking about baptism, we're thinking about being engrafted into Christ and into everything that he did in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. We are baptized into Christ Jesus, and that means we... that we participated with and in him in his death and resurrection. Baptism points us to what Christ did. He died, he rose again, and it points us to all those benefits that flow to us because he died and he rose again, dying to sin, rising to new life in which we are to live. So you see how 
Paul is, Paul is using baptism to remind them of what Jesus has done for them, to remind them of who they are. And, and who, who they are is united to Christ. They've been engrafted into Christ Jesus. This is just the first step. The Lord's Supper does the same thing. When we participate in the Lord's Supper, we are pointed to the death of Christ, the, the broken body, the shed blood, the forgiveness of sins, the relationship. We are sitting at a table and we are friends with Christ at his table. And we are communing with him. That's why we use this kind of language when we speak of the Lord's table. All of it points us to something, to Jesus Christ. So that's the first step. But not only do the sacraments point us to Christ or signify Christ and his benefits, they also, the confession says, confirm our interest in him. They certify or give God's authority to our share in or right to Christ and his benefits. Sacraments point us to our relationship with Jesus and they seal or confirm that we belong to him by God's great grace. When you had, and I've shared this with you many times when we participate in the table, a seal, a wax seal on a letter showed that it was, it was a, had authority. If it was a letter from the king, it had the king's seal on it, that letter was property of the king. It was from the king. It was truly a communication from the king. You knew that it was authentic. Those who participate in the Lord's Supper had that same kind of certification happening in them. They know that they belong to the king. They have his seal on them, his signature, his, his stamp of approval on them. So it gives us encouragement that everything that Christ did, he did for us. See, we don't stop at the first point, that the sacraments point us to Christ. It's not like the sacraments are just rehearsing history for us. They're not just simply pointing us to a time and a place 2,000 years ago where Jesus lived, died, and rose again, and we think about that. No. It points us back to that, but it points us back to the fact that we participate in that. We have a share in what Christ did. When we participate... Think about our own baptism as other people are being baptized as we participate in the Lord's Supper. We remember that, as Paul says to the Galatians, Christ loved me and gave himself for me. You should think that when you're participating in the Lord's table. Not just that Christ died and rose again, but Christ died for me and he rose again so I couldn't have new life. So I could live in newness of life. So the Lord's Supper and baptism do this for us. Point us to Christ and point us to our interest in that. That it's, it's for us. And we belong to him. And he belongs to us as our Lord and our Savior. Well, thirdly, sacraments also do something else for us. They put a visible difference between those that belong to the church and the rest of the world. And you can see that Paul is doing that here in Romans 6 with baptism. Remember your baptism, he says. You were set apart when you were baptized. You have God's mark upon you. You are part of God's covenant community. 
You are no longer slaves to sin, he goes on in 15 and following to say, but you are slaves to God and to righteousness. You belong to him. You shouldn't go serving sin anymore. You should serve the Lord. You're set apart for him, and baptism demonstrates that. The Lord's Supper does the same thing as well. We fence the table. That's the, when, I, when I tell you uh, in, a, in a moment that only the, the only people who should come to the Lord's table are those who are truly believers, who have repented of their sins and who are members in good standing in, in a Bible-believing church. That's called fencing the table and putting a fence around it because if you eat and drink in an unworthy manner, you are going to drink judgment upon yourself, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11. So it's important that we're very careful and we discern the body as Paul encourages us to do. Understand the meaning of the table. Reflect upon our own relationship with Christ as we come to the table because it's only for those who are, who are believers. Those are the people who are welcomed in by Christ, those who trust him. Same is true of baptism. Baptism is not for, for just anyone. Uh, it's for those adults who put their faith in Christ, who have never been baptized before. It's for the children of at least one believer. They're part of a covenant community. They have a special relationship. They're not just like any other children. Children of believers are different from children of unbelievers. They have a special relationship with Christ. It doesn't mean that they're saved. It doesn't mean that they have their own faith. But they do have a relationship with the Lord. And as they grow up, they need to acknowledge that and put their trust and faith in Christ. But they're not the same as pagan children or Buddhist children or Hindu children or any other children in the world. They have a special relationship with Yahweh, the God of the Bible. And they need to act in accordance with that. If they refuse to do that, then they're covenant breakers. And the church needs to discipline them and point them in the right direction. And we try to do that. So you see here, sacraments set us apart. They're not just for anyone, but they bring a difference between those that belong to the church and the rest of the world. When someone is baptized, especially in Paul's context here, because all of these people were probably adult converts coming out of paganism, and, and, and they had to be baptized as believers. And so they would be making a statement to the world when they did that, that they, they belong to Christ now. They, they are married to Christ. They are in covenant with him, and, and, and that baptism sets them off as that. Likewise, their believers, uh, their children, uh, would be marked off the same way, distinct from the world. So the sacraments serve that function. And you see, when we come to the Lord's table, as we think about the battle with sin, as Paul uses it, he's saying, look, you're not like the rest of the world. Be different from the rest of the world. You are servants of Christ now. Serve him. The table encourages us in that because it reminds us of that. Now, fourthly, and finally, sacraments solemnly engage those that belong to the church to the service of God in Christ according to his word. The, sacrament, the sacraments signify a point to the need for devoted service to the Lord. They seal or confirm that God's word calls us to his service. They remind us that we cannot have it both ways. Our commitment is either to Christ or to the devil. He blatantly says that in Romans 6 in the later verses. We can't have it both ways. We are servants of Christ, 
And that's why Paul's saying, look at your baptism. You belong to him. You're obligated to him. You're obligated to be in his service, not in the service of sin. The Lord's Supper does the same. Christ died for us. He shed his blood. His body was broken for us so that we would be forgiven for our sins, so that we would be free from bondage to sin. So how can we sin? How can we live in sin any longer? We're his, and look what he's done for us. How can we cheapen the grace of God by sinning? That's why in verse 12 he says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. The way that he expresses that shows the battle uh, is real. He's affirming sin has passions. There's passions connected to it. The word probably is, is there's lusts. It's the same word for lust or over-desires is how it's, how it's literally the literal meaning of the Greek word. The, there's, there's a passion, there's an attraction, there's a desire there for us. And so there's a battle that's waging. So we have to choose. Let not sin reign in our mortal body because we will obey its passions if we are not strengthened in our faith. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So you see here we have the inner workings of how the sacraments work and Paul is using baptism to encourage these people in their battle with sin as they face the temptations, uh, the, the, the desires that they have for certain temptations. And he's saying, remember who you are in Christ. Remember what your baptism means. And we can say the same for the Lord's table. So as we come today to the Lord's table... Let's remember, as we come with our sins and our struggles, let us remember what it points us to, Christ, and that, that we belong to Christ, that we have a, have a share in what Christ has done for us. We're forgiven. We have been adopted into his family, and he's, he's doing a good work in us that he will complete one day. And let us remember that we're not like the rest of the world. We're called out of the world. We're not supposed to be like the world but we are obligated to serve Christ. All of these things are included as we come to the Lord's table. That's the machinery of it, how it kind of works for us. And I hope that you're encouraged in that as you come to the table today. Uh, as we come to the table then, let's prepare our hearts in, in these moments. First, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing uh, hymn number 249, Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, because more than anything else, what is communicated here is the great love that God has for his people and sending his only son to die for sinners. And we are reminded of that, encouraged by that today. Let's pray together. Father, we would ask that our faith would be increased and strengthened here today as we participate in the Lord's Supper. Lord, as we come to the table and as we think about what Christ did for us on the cross, we pray, Lord, that, that we would understand that as we participate, as we eat the bread and as we drink from the cup, that 
that we are united to Christ just like we are, we are participating in that table. And Lord, all the implications of that, we pray would be brought home to us today so that we could have strength to fight sin and to live unto righteousness. As we continue to grow and become more like Christ, we pray, Lord, that that would be our pursuit, to not be derailed by the passions of this world, by the passions of sin. But, Lord, give us clarity of thought and purity of heart. And we thank you that that is possible only through what Christ has done for us, which we celebrate today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.